another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about modern orthodoxy, religious Zionism, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Harab Anit Mali Bravsky and Harab Johnny Solomon. Today, we're recording the day after the American elections for the president and for much of Congress. They have yet to decide a, uh, a winner as we're speaking. So if you're listening and you know who the winner is, don't tell us. But even more than that, we don't want to talk about time the election. Travel. It's don't. We're time travel. Um, we, even more than that, we don't want to um, discuss the election per se, but rather we want to talk about the idea of citizenship and what it means to be a citizen, a Jewish citizen of a foreign country, an Orthodox citizen or a modern Orthodox citizen living in a foreign country, living in, I wouldn't say not a foreign country, living in a non-Jewish country uh, in, in today's day and age, especially in light of the fact that there is such a thing as the state of Israel. What does that mean to a person's Jewish identity? This all started, uh, we, we've been, we have our internal uh, WhatsApps and our chats. This whole discussion started from a Facebook post that Molly shared with us about what it meant to be a Jew around Halloween time. And the, the person who wrote it, Molly, do you remember who wrote the post? Do you remember whose post it was? Oh, Rabbi Sorel Gottlieb. It says at the bottom, Rabbi Sorel Gottlieb wrote about the fact that Gedolim in olden times, when, they, when, they, uh, when there was Halloween, they had candy out and their non-Jewish neighbors would come and they, they didn't hide from Halloween. Halloween was a part, of, was a part of, of the Jewish experience in that we, I remember, we never trick-or-treated, chas shalom. Like that wasn't our thing, but the kids came around and we gave them candy and it wasn't something that we shied away from. Whereas nowadays, Rabbi Gottlieb, Rabbi Gottlieb wrote about it, the fact that, you know, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Rabbi Pam, all of those Rabbanim, they happily participated, were happy to be, you know, more global citizens. And, and he was commenting on the fact that today Jews, maybe not intentionally, but don't live in neighborhoods where there are a lot of non-Jews. They really have siloed themselves off or they shut off the light, they don't participate, on the one hand, that's one perspective, but on the other hand, or they, or they actually fully participate and trick-or-treat as part of Halloween, because that's uh, Minhag America, those are two interesting different phenomenon, but, but looking at the first side of it, they, they sort of have siloed themselves off and said, why should we have to participate, this is not our Minhag, this is not our custom, we, why should Halloween be something that we participate in? And it raises the specter of what does it mean to be a religious Jew, to be a Jew in a non-Jewish country? And what does it mean to, do you have a perspective of, I'm a minority, and therefore when Halloween happens, I encourage it, I don't participate in it, but I'm, I'm fully cognizant of it. Or I'm a full citizen, it's not my minog, I don't want to have anything to do with it, and we do things in our own way, and... The, the Christian community, whatever they do, they do, and whatever we do, we do. So, Molly, this started from you. I, wa I wanted you to comment about Halloween in general, but also, from your perspective, you just came back from America. You came back from a pretty Jewish neighborhood in America. I, I heard there's some Jews there. Um, what's, what is it, what's your perspective? What's your, per what's your view of how Jews see themselves as citizens in the United States nowadays, as opposed to actually when, either when you were growing up or how you were raised? Well, I guess I'll just start with how I was raised because I think that's the best place to start because I, I, I think that the way, I, I like the way I was raised. I think the message that I got was that America is a country that accepts 
all religions, um, and that and that part of the beauty of America is that it celebrates the diversity and makes space for 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 you to participate as much as you want in the majority culture, um, or to opt out of the majority culture. Now that being said, that already says something about the way I was raised, which was that there was this idea that there was a majority culture, right? That America had a majority culture, but that it respected and made room for it, for its minority cultures. And I happen to have liked that very much because that gave me, I, I felt that that gave me the best of both worlds because it gave me a tremendous appreciation for the majority culture um, and for the, the, like the, the freedoms and, and the beauty and, the, and, and, and a lot of wonderful things about that, about the culture of America as I grew up. But at the same time, I was always very clear about, but I'm a minority in this majority culture. And so... It was very clear to me that there were certain things that I didn't participate in that were part of the majority culture and that that was fine. Um, and that then we would negotiate what we did and what we didn't, right? So like, I, me, I, I know that there are actually even Orthodox Jews who trick-or-treat on Halloween. That was something that we never would have dreamed of doing um, because Halloween has its origins as a pagan holiday. Um, but for example, um, you know, around the holiday time, so we would... We, we would, let's say, get in the car and drive around the neighborhood and see the lights. Or when I went to high school in Manhattan, we would go and see the Lord and Taylor windows. So right? interesting. I would never do that. We would like, you know, oh, it's like Goyish. Why would you exactly, do that? Exactly. Right? So would... I, I find that really interesting. And I, I liked the message that I got, which was it was very clear that I was a minority in a majority culture. And that th that was good for me because it helped me think about my lines. Right. I am different. I am Jewish. I do have, you know, there are things that non-Jews do that we don't do, and these are the reasons. And at the same time, because I was so clear about I'm in the min minority and they are the majority, I was able to, from that place of difference, appreciate the, the larger culture without feeling like I had to integrate into it. And I feel like today, um, I don't know if I should say today, I should say I feel like I've observed that there are people who completely kind of shut themselves off from the culture, um, which I think is not, you know, might have its own pitfalls. And there are people who completely assimilate into the culture, either assimilate with both feet into the culture or demand. This, I think, is like an interesting question. I'd be curious what you think about this. I'm very comfortable saying I'm a minority in a majority culture and that's fine with me. But I think that there are a lot of Americans who feel like, no, that's not what America's about. America's about all the minorities, all the diverse cultures should have equal voice. I never felt that. I never felt like um, in, uh, unless there's a giant menorah, right, next to the tree, it, it, then, then like I'm being discriminated against, right? You're infringing my religious freedoms. I was very perfectly comfortable saying the majority culture has a tree. If we want to put up a menorah, they'll let us. But I don't feel discriminated against by the fact of their majority culture. And, and I think now people are starting to feel like, no, 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 unless there's mamish equal representation, that's sort of discrimination against the minority. I don't feel that way. And I find that I, I happen to really like the idea of being a minority in a majority culture and being, a, I think that's a great space to be because I think it, it really gives you the best of both worlds. It keeps your identity intact as a minority and it enables you to appreciate the majority and navigate the interrelationship from a place of confidence in your own beliefs but also kind of respect, appreciation, and openness if you're in a country such as America that, that, that gives you the rights and privileges of, of its culture. So I want to turn to Johnny. Johnny, you're British. So I, I remember I was 
you know, I don't know if, if people listen to the podcast, if this is your first time, you'll, you'll hear that Johnny is British or come, comes from Great Britain. I remember when I was recently visiting in one of the shuls, somehow the rabbi, we were talking about, you know, Britain and its history. And the rabbi brought up that historically, what he said was, he said that when the Jews were returned by Charlemagne in the 14, 16, whatever it was, like they never officially rescinded the, 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 the expulsion order, like, you know, the Jews still know that Mid-1600s, there's not... 1600s 1656. Something like that. You know your history better than I do. The, the Jews never really, they never really rescinded. They were like, you know, it was like Tarash Peh that they let the Jews in, but like theoretically, if Parliament wanted to, they could invoke the law and, you know, kick all the Jews out again. And that's something that's a, that the Jews are aware of. Is that true? I mean, my perception is that the British Jewish experience is fundamentally different than the American one. So I'll answer... Firstly, to your point, which is, I think the British and European, and in fact, many other countries around the world's Jewish experience is radically different to the American one. But in order to explain how, I want to just bring a little bit of a, a Torah voice to it. Uh, and the first few psukim from not the upcoming parish, which is Vayera, but the one after, which is Chayisara. And there, Avram describes himself as a Gerva Toshavanochi, right? And Rav Soloveitchik has a famous uh, uh, speech written down in uh, in Rabbi Bezdin's uh, Reflections of the Rab, A Stranger and a Resident. And I want to quote to you because it's this tension with, with which the Jew living in the diaspora lives. He says, Avram's definition of his dual status describes with profound accuracy the historical position of the Jew who resides in a predominantly non-Jewish society. He is a resident, like other inhabitants here in the case of Canaan, sharing with them a concern for the welfare of society, digging wells, contributing to the progress of the country. Here he is a fellow citizen, a, a patriot among compatriots, joining others in advancing the common welfare. But there's an, another aspect, the spiritual, in which Avram regarded himself as a stranger. His identification and solidarity with his fellow citizens in the secular realm did not imply his readiness to relinquish any aspect of his religious uniqueness. He was a different faith, and he was governed by perceptions, truths, and observances which set him apart from the larger faith community. In this regard, Avram's descendants would always remain strangers. Now, Gerva Toshavanochi, I think, is an important uh, formula to describe the Jew in the diaspora here. Uh, Avram in Canaan, right, here as a, a relatively lone individual uh, roaming through the land. And what I'd say in contrasting the British experience, the American experience, putting a, the history aside is, I think the American Jew does feel to be a Gerva Toshav, but the difference is the level of Toshav is much more pronounced than a person living in the UK, both in terms of numbers and the way the community is built and the level of political clout uh, and, and the attitudes with which the community uh, thinks about itself vis-a-vis -vis the wider culture. A Jew living in the UK basically says, I'm British, I pay taxes, I try and stay out of trouble, I, I, I pray for the welfare of the country and for the Queen. But nevertheless, I know that uh, there's a grace from which I live here, I appreciate it. The British may not have been uh, as uh, generous as the American government has been in terms of rights for the community. And so Jew there puts their heads low, they appreciate what they have, they try and establish rapport and, and have relationships with the wider community. They very much uh, do what they can in terms of citizenship. But nevertheless, there's a strong feeling of ger. And there is also an awareness of being a partial toshav. 
I'd say, and, and I'm not American, so only you guys can respond, I'd say contrasting that, the American Jewish experience from the Orthodox world specifically, uh, there is very much a stronger association of identification with culture, a stronger association of privilege. I don't mean in the, in the way it's often used, but a privilege that this is my country and I have my rights, etc. But in, not just it doesn't just come from the community, but also, of course, the, the notion of rights has been form, uh, uh, presented in, in um, the Declaration of Independence such that the American Jew thinks that they are a bit of a ger, but very much a toshav, and that's reflected in many of the choices they take and many of the ways in which they engage and at times challenge government and, uh, and so, other parties involved. Johnny, I would say even more strongly than that, I, I think there's a sense of identification and pride in being an American citizen that's, I, I don't know about British, if, if British are, are proud of being citizens, but like, if you, talk, if you go around Europe and you talk to, you know, French Jews, you'll never hear a French Jew proud that he's a, you know, a, a French Jew. He's Jewish and he happens to live in France. And, 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 but American Jews have a sense, I think that it all goes together. There's a sense of pride in the ideals that America represents and pride in the rights that America gives you. And then a sense of obligation at the same time to participate and to be and to, and to utilize those rights that the country gives you. So, first of all, I love your framing of Gervin Toshav. Well, I think I, that ju I just want to respond to that, which is Rabbi Sachs discusses both in The Home We Build Together and more recently in his book Morality. One of the things that makes America very different to the UK, listen, I'm appreciative of certain rights I've had from the UK, but that level of pride doesn't quite exist uh, as it does in America. But, but Rabbi Sachs explains why. And it's to do with actually what it means to be American. I mean, a lot of people are asking that question today, uh, especially as, as votes are being counted, but America has a story. And Britain may well have had a story, but it's lost its story. You asked me about the history of, of British Jews. The truth is, Br Br uh, Brits barely study much of British history. A few bits about the Victorians here, there, and everywhere, but it's very patchy. We've lost our narrative, and, and but we don't have a Declaration of Independence, so it's very hard to be clear about what you're proud of. So it's nice you have, you appreciate a certain level of culture, you appreciate having cups of tea. Some people are royalists, some people are not. But there's nothing to hold on to. And there used to be saying, an empire. This is our story. There used, there used to be where, an empire that you could be like, oh, we're the right. British Well, empire. it's not so much about the power, but it's about the clarity of what you yeah. stand for. Whereas the Britain has undergone a radical change in terms of it's no longer a, a Christian society, which had, by the way, certain pros and and members of the community are disappointed about the secularization of the UK. We don't have a story. So it's don't so have interesting that you say that because America is actually going through a struggle about its story right now. That's it's a misconception. Right. So, so Britain, Britain, Britain didn't struggle because it ebbed away. It lost it, and it was replaced by a vision of multiculturalism, which was not sufficiently coherent. And then, and as a result of it, it's a cultural mess. And what Rabbi Sachs talks about, and again, he's a great thought leader, but also somebody who understands what it means to be British and also understands the qualities of America. He says, what a great shame, because Britain could have a story. Britain does have things to tell its citizens. Britain could establish a covenant. Britain could emulate some of the qualities of America, but it's failed to do so. And, and the changes that the world have undergone means that to be a Britain, 
British person is actually not to hold on to much, and that's why there's cultural confusion and turmoil bubbling over. Now people are a little bit civil, they don't have guns, so all they do is kind of like not talk to each other as they ordinarily wouldn't, meaning that <laughs> it's less present on the street as to how people aren't engaging. Whereas in America, when you have that story, and it's being twisted and warped in all many different ways, and notions of power and concepts of control and the right to bear arms and that notion of rights means that where there is a disconnect, a misalignment, That's a recipe that for aggression disaster. is a lot more present I, I on the street. I hey, Molly, I want to go back to you for a second. I'm going to come back to you for a second. Before I, I'm, I'm going to push back at what you said. Because, of course, I understand, you know, the, the ger v'toshav, as Johnny so eloquently put it. And uh, Avraham Avinu... I believe the story of Abraham Avinu negotiating, uh, the beautiful story of him negotiating for Merata Machpela. And when it says, I believe that Abraham Avinu was intentionally overpaying to make himself look like a friar so that he would never fit in. That he didn't even know how to negotiate, he, he didn't even know how to negotiate with them. He was Abraham, Abraham Ivri. He wanted to be, he wanted Merata Machpela. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. If, in, intentionally, he wanted Yitzchak to be raised, you know, separate from the rest of the community, that he had that sort of mentality. But Americans don't have that. I mean, part of the beauty of the American community isn't that we don't live in the Holocaust in America, you know what I'm saying? Not that, you know, we don't, we're not nervous all the time. There's increasing anti-Semitism now, which is fascinating and dangerous and scary and very important, but I did not feel it growing up in any way, shape, or form. And concurrent with that, is an assertion not only of, of, of rights, but an assertion of, of power. Think about, like, think about the idea of APEC. The idea of the power of an APEC, which has no, you know, no parallel in any other country around the world. There's no British APEC. There's no Canadian APEC. It stems from the sense that I am a citizen and I have to assert my rights to speak about what I want and to, be re to have myself represented in, the, in Congress. So there's a positive side to that as well. That if you're just the humble, meek Jew, then you're, you're going to miss out on all those positives. And it's not the ideal of what America's all about. America's about, no, you are an equal citizen. You shouldn't have to run around wondering what the majority thinks of you. No, you should be a Hanukkah menorah in the center of the town square. What would your response be to that kind of pushback? Okay. Johnny, did you want to say something before? No, oh, I, I, I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was, I was going to simply say only because you're mentioning APAC and things like that, you know, and we're contrasting a little bit momentarily between the UK and the US. The amount of people I know who are from, uh, and I, in, in the fullest sense of the word, who still don't wear their kippah at work in the UK. Now, I can't speak about America. I'm not toured there, and you guys can speak. But I can imagine... That was discussed by Rav Moshe like 50, 60 years ago, right? But nowadays, there's a real sense of strength, real sense of pride, real sense of right. A person takes off their kippah, go to work, you've got to think, well, you know, maybe they're a little bit lax. Maybe they're really not properly gung-ho Jews. Whereas in the UK, there are still not many, and I've never once taken off my kippah, right? Um, although one of the British comedians, uh, Jewish comedians, talks about the front people to wear a nice suit but a, a, a baseball cap walking around the city in London. He says, you're fooling nobody. Who the heck walks around with a suit and a baseball cap? But Tuckus <laughs> is, there are still many Jews in the UK. Who do you think who with your Jew cap? Right, exactly. Right, right. But there are many Jews in the UK who are from, from, but who take off their kippah work because they think, and I think they're right, especially when you're a much, much smaller community, 
you're much more anxious about the whispers and you don't have that strength you don't have that confidence right and you don't have that narrative of rights so you kind of say i gotta be a good person be sweet be nice stay low wherever possible and if i'm worried about rocking the boat when in doubt you know you know camouflage yourself shall we say yeah okay so Molly, i want you to i want you yeah. to answer my my question yeah, I will answer. First of all, by the way, I'm not sure that no Frenchman would say that they're proud of being French, by the way. Just in case we get it. So that's just to preempt the angry letter from the French, uh, our French I, listeners. That's fine. Talk to the French people. I've talked to okay. many, many French Jews. Uh, um, I also, I love that, that I really think that it's true that America has a narrative. I happen to also think that right now, part of what America is going through, the, the all of the turmoil in America is actually a struggle for the soul of America. There's a it's a battle, battle about the narrative. It's a battle about it's, the it's narrative. It's a battle about the narrative. It's exactly what it is. There's a lot to say about that, but that's not yeah. You have a lot to say, but not our topic. So yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you a favor exactly and cut you what off. It is. It's a battle. <laughs> it's a battle for what is the narrative. See when I try to cut her off. See what okay, happens. I just, I just it's so true. It's like, do we want to become Europe or do we want to still? Oh my God! Stop! I'm saving American. you. Trust okay. me, I'm doing you a favor. Okay, fine. <laughs> I will. Say, no, but it's so true. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. Wait, wait, so you're saying it's a narrative, a battle for the future? I'm saying that it is a battle for the future of the soul of America and the story that Americans tell themselves about who they are. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I will say, though, that I, I, when you describe that American Jew, you know, and Johnny's describing the, you know, the European Jew, I actually find myself in, in a position where I always felt a little bit different as an American Jew because my family is European. So I always had that European voice in my head. I, I love the Ger Toshav image, uh, whispering in my head, don't forget that you're a Ger, right? So Halloween, right? It wasn't just like, like what enabled me to, to be able to distinguish between myself and to really make that, make that distinction I spoke about in the beginning appropriately between the Ger and the Toshav. Was every Halloween, my father would say, you know, on this night in Europe, the Jews ha- is, used to hide under their beds because, you know, the non-Jews would come and kill them all. Um, you know, like that was never far from my consciousness. That set, that that European. So I remember I, I the beginning. Yeah, of the your time, family there was particularly. My family European. had that. And I remember I spoke to an American, somebody who was like a third generation American, and like the Intifada broke out, and she was like, uh, they, 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 they want to kill us? Why? I was like, hello, everybody wants to kill us always. And she was like so far into her because she was so American, and it was so obvious to me because I was so European, and it's, it's a very, very different mindset. So I think. I, I think that what I was trying to say in the beginning is, and, and again, I really love Jody's language, which is that it, it's really, I think it's a challenge to find that balance and not to forget, even when we're in America, and I, I and again, you're not going to get me going on my, you know, where I, where I fall on the battle for America's soul, but I will say that I certainly am extremely invested in the American story. Um, I, I, again, this is a, you know, I, 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 I do feel American in Wait, many what, ways. What, what about my pushback about the idea of it, we have rights, we're full citizens. Why, why, why should I, like you're right, telling so me why, shy okay, still. Okay, so that's an interesting question. So there it's because, and, and this again, like you probably want me to answer from a Jewish perspective, right? Because I'm a Ger and a Toshav and which one am I? That's you, kind of where you were going, right? I'm from, I actually, am, my perspective on this comes from my larger like perspective on nations and cultures, I really, and, and sorry, but I'm going to get there even though you guys wanted to keep me away from it. I really believe that the world is enriched when we have nations that have their own individual cultures and we don't flatten everything into one giant 
global neutral thing, whether that's America takes over and everything's McDonald's or it's no, you know, we have to all be multicultural. So every, you know, but basically what, what Johnny's describing that Rabbi Sachs is describing happens to Europe. I think the world is enriched when we actually have majority cultures and France is French and England is British and America is American. And, and by the way, just about your apropos your your hat story we go my, my grandparents were from switzerland so we used to always go to the swiss mountains and it was always hilarious to see these people like full suits sits us out but uh but they've got their baseball caps over their kippa like who exactly do they think they're kidding walking down the swiss mountain in like literally like a like a like a black suit think she's still talking or we should just uh okay molly we're having a little bit of difficulty Okay, yeah, I lost you guys for a second. We're back, we're back. Okay, Keep we're going. back. So what I was going to say is uh, I actually believe that the world is better off when we respect majority cultures. And I happen to love the American, which I believe was the American ideal, which is it's okay to have a majority culture. Again, now now I'm like, please, please don't chop my head off. It's okay that this was a Christian nation. That's fine. The founding fathers were Christian. I happen to believe the country does better when religion is allowed somewhere into the sphere. I still believe, obviously, in separation of church and state, and I believe we should be our rights should be protected and our freedom of religion should be protected. But I actually think it's better to, to, to understand and respect the majority culture and then make space within that majority for minorities. And being a minority is not a bad thing. Being a minority can be appreciated and celebrated, and you have your space as a minority. So... That's my pushback. It's like yeah, I, I it's a fine, Mabi. It's a fine pushback, but it's not real reasonable or realistic. Because you're saying a minority should revel in its minorityness and enjoy and appreciate its minorityness, but it's uh, but people, but it has human the same nature, rights. human nature ultimately will want to assert itself and 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 assert its not not just its rights, but assert itself in general as well. Wait, I want to turn back to Johnny for a second. I don't know what you mean by that. I mean, I don't want to be a minority. I want to be a full citizen. I want to you run for are Congress. You're a full citizen. Why are so you don't a full citizen? So why, should I, why should I think of myself a minority? I think of myself as part of... Like, well, why should I? statistically, and again, this is okay, but this is like, get over yourself. Statistically, if you are X percent of the population, you are a minority. That's not a bad thing. What, what do you mean you don't want to be a minority? I, don't, I want to have blonde hair and be six feet tall. That's very nice. But I'm you part say, of minority culture. I'm going to ask you a loaded question. You would say that to an, uh, an African-American? And I will give you a loaded answer. Yes. That doesn't mean that I don't respect African-Americans and their culture and what they have to give and their heritage. And, and African-Americans actually have a much more complex uh, relationship to American history because they didn't choose, like you were talking about blacks, right? Who Not talking about, let's say... Um, yeah, yeah, slaves, uh, blacks who were brought to slaves. Right, blacks who were brought to America against their will, who participated in the American story without it being, without their choice, they have a much more complex relationship to America, which needs to be told and honored and respected. But... Whatever percentage of the population they are, that's the percentage that they are, and that's fine. Why is that a bad thing? And what does that mean, right? Like, like, what, what's the disadvantage of that? Like, practically, how does that play out in a negative way? Okay, so I want to turn back. Uh, I understand what you're saying. I'm not sure I agree. I want to turn back to Johnny. Johnny, I shared with you yesterday on our WhatsApp group an article written by Ramir Tversky, long article, and he related to the way the Jewish community has been acting politically. When it comes to when it comes to COVID, especially I think he was referring to he didn't say explicitly, but especially the the not even the riots, but the protests and the pushback against the 
the local government when it comes to COVID regulations and sort of this, this idea of Jews asserting themselves, asserting their community rights, but no more so asserting their community power. And he, in a very long and I would say yeshivish kind of essay, he basically says, not a good idea, just not a good idea for the Jews. So I, I want to know what your response to what Rameer wrote, and, and then I would like to hear what you have to say about Molly's idea of, of like, tie that in. Like, I want to know what you think about what he wrote, and tie that into the idea of, should Jews just be quiet and not assert their political power when they I want something they or need be something? Quiet, by the way. Be, be, I mean, being a minority doesn't mean you don't Rep, have to Rep Twersky essentially did say that. Say that. But said, I don't want you to say that that's what I'm saying, and especially not when you're talking about other communities. Being a minority, that's the beauty of America. You have the same rights as every other citizen, right? You are still a citizen of America. It doesn't matter. Wait, wait, Again, I, I want to hear what Johnny says, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, Molly. Whether, okay, okay, go ahead, John. Johnny, do you understand control. my question? You're, you're, yeah, go ahead. I, I understand the question. Um, as always, you can choose to answer or not uh, I, I read Robert Mayer Tversky's uh, article, but also what I hadn't, I didn't have a chance to send you yesterday is uh, he was interviewed in one of the recent headlines radio shows with uh, by Ari Wasserman, and he was discussing this uh, in a slightly more informal capacity as he did in his article. In fact, this topic had previously been discussed by David Lichtenstein on that show a couple of weeks beforehand, which is really to what extent should we feel incredibly comfortable uh, to use the same formula to what extent should we feel that we are a real toshav and we've got these strong communities and we should uh, be prepared to challenge the government if we feel that our rights have been uh, overlooked etc or to what extent should we feel a little bit more anxious and reserved and hold ourselves back even if we think we are right and uh, both in his article and especially in in the interview that he had with Ari Wasserman, his critique was that American jury, I'm saying this in his name, not mine, are too comfortable. Uh, and, and they basically are, uh, they should be a little bit more cautious, a little bit more wary, a little bit more uh, conscious of notions of Chilul Hashem, of the worry of Eva. Of yeah, he wrote about Eva basically. quite extensively. He wrote about Eva quite extensively. Right, right, right. So, and he speaks about it too. And he basically says there's a variety of halachic categories and moral categories which tells a Jew living in a non-Jewish world that though nobody's suggesting that your human rights should be um, overlooked and, and, and if that were to be the case, uh, one should obviously pr protect oneself and there'll be times when you can even go against the government. Uh, he doesn't say that explicitly, but that's what he implied. Nevertheless, Begadol, when we're dealing with a global pandemic, Nobody's going out to get you, no, uh, and you should be careful not to rock the boat for things which you'd like, but nevertheless um, aren't magielachim. Really, what he's kind of saying is the American Jewish community, at least some aspects of that community, have a culture of magiali in a place where they shouldn't think that to be the case. And he was really giving divrei musa, saying, if we respond to the and he was specifically referring to the the great the stringencies or the red areas right in certain communities where there's, where there's being greater police intervention in order to protect the community from the high rates of covid he says if we try and um go against that governance because we'd rather you know run our shuls that way run our yeshivas that way we for us it's inconvenient 
He says, be very careful because they'll come back basically to bite us. It's showing a disrespect for authority when in fact they're ultimately trying to look after our communities. And overall, we're still guests here. Overall, oh, we should not forget. That's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. That I don't that I don't think Americans feel. We are not guests, and that's not what I'm saying at all. That's the, the Toshani. I'm not suggesting you're saying. That's know, what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's what I heard from you. That's definitely what he was saying. That's definitely what right. he was saying. And so so what I just I will just finish off and I'd love to hear what Mali and, and, and Ruby as well. So I heard what he was saying about America. Again, I, I, I can't really speak as an American citizen. But what I heard from him was describing how I've always felt as a British Jew, but different to what I've always heard. Uh, from the many American neighbors and friends and students I have, because he's describing attitude from 30, 40 years ago. And Dover Lichtenstein was saying, it's funny, 30, 40 years ago, a good Israel had a policy of don't rock the boat. Yeah. And now a good Israel took basically the, the governor of New York to court because they felt that they should have been given greater rights and their rights had been diminished in terms of prayer services. I believe they won. But so... What Dover Lichtenstein said is there seems to be a policy shift from stay low, stay quiet to activism. R- yeah, it's very simple. Saying, it's very simple. Back then, the Holocaust was fresh in their memory, and now they've forgotten. I, that's right, what I believe. Ramet, Ramet I, I have another theory that I want to share with you. I have another theory. He says that's a timeless approach for the American Jew, hmm. uh, whereas people like Rabbi Stroll Reisman, who was involved in the court case, would say that was a timely approach. And I'm also not suggesting we should be reckless. But nevertheless, if my rights are being trampled on in a discriminatory way, I also need to defend myself because, uh, and as a number of callers uh, called into that show, we shouldn't allow them to take away what really is ours. We pay taxes. We do uh-huh. have rights. This is part of the American story. So you really have the yeah. tension of looking over your shoulder to standing your ground. And, and I see a number of people feeling that uh, uh, way. Again, when I heard Rabbi Meir Twersky, I said, what he's saying is just describing how, I can't speak for every British Jew, but certainly me, grew up, which is, you know, behave well, uh, be respectful, don't get into trouble, and don't rock the boat. So I want to I want to add something, and I think I want to hear what Molly's response to is. First of all, what I said I think is definitely true. That the farther away we get from the Holocaust, and the, as Jews did not feel in America strong anti-Semitism, they want to assert their sense of their rights. We're full citizens. We pay taxes, etc. But to me, you cannot ignore the presence of the state of Israel and the primacy of um, of what I would call the asserting Jewish rights on a global stage and how that has an effect and, and magnifies what happens in the Jewish community. Meaning, like when I see um, the Haredim in Israel protesting at Yerushalayim and rioting and, and saying, you know, kicking the police out, and then literally weeks later you find almost exactly the same thing in Brooklyn, that, that we now live in a global community where... Uh, to me, it seemed to me that people were sort of taking their cue from their brothers in Israel without really thinking about, one second, are we in the exact same situation? Because even the Haredim might have a lot of, the, the, here in Israel might cause a lot of eva and a lot of uh, anxiety and animosity and uh, many, many discussions about the place in the community. But nobody argues that they're Jews and they belong here and they have rights and they want to assert those rights and you know what those questions are. Whereas... To say the exact same thing, to have the same protest in the same way and make the same assertion in even a friendly country like the United States, 
to me, that's uh, very confusing. And I, you know, I find Rabbi Tversky's um, argument very, very compelling. You ain't in Israel. You're not in the Jewish state. And I think that to a large, large degree, uh, American Jews might have forgotten that. Might not realize. I that. just want to add one. Well, Johnny, what do you think about? What do you? What do you I'm curious what you, what you. What do you think about my uh, my geopolitical theory? I'd, I'd love to, for money. I just want to add one further feature, which is I think that the financial strength of the Jewish community in America now is quite different to how it was in the 50s and 60s. Right. I mean, you're right. It's it's closer to the Holocaust as well, but the community is strong politically. It's strong financially, uh, and that also has uh, an impact on that sense of permanence. Right, uh, of where you are and of who you are. Um, so I just want to. Add, I mean, you could agree or disagree with that, but I think that may well be a further factor. But sorry, Mali. You know, so I would say I'm of two minds because one part of me wants to say like, no way, we're Americans just like every other American, and we have rights just like every other American, um, and we have every right to assert those rights, um, and that that's that's part of being part of the American experience. And then I have another voice in my head that says that darn anti-Semitism, which we've discussed on this podcast before, right? Where it comes from, where it's going, nobody knows, right? But but if you don't think there's anti-Semitism, you are, you know, you are fooling yourself. It's on the right, it's on the left, it'll show up everywhere. The first scapegoats will always be the Jews. Um, scratch just a little bit and you'll find yeah. it again. You'll you should just it. know. I've been. You should just know. I've been. I'm starting to interrupt you. I've been talking to rabbis uh, for a bunch of rabbis around the around America, across the country. And a rabbi said to me yesterday, he said it's it's definitely much more perce perceptible. People, you know, stop their cars and they yell at you. And he said, even though people they might not be talking about Aliyah seriously, oh, they're still sure. building their houses. It's now in the conversation. I, in the There's a sense of the past it. week, I've seen three videos. One of a Jew being yelled at in uh, Brooklyn with a Jewish expletive, put on your mask. One of a Jew demonstrating, this is actually interesting, one of these Jews who are pro-Trump in the middle of Manhattan being attacked and what was yelled at them was, we don't want you here, go back to Long Island, right? Those were the pro-Trump Jews, get out of here, go back to Long Island. And then the other of Jews who had come to express solidarity with a far left-wing group, and the far left-wing group said, get out of here, we don't want you, uh, um, I don't know if they said go home or go away or, or you don't belong here, right? So, so there you see, right, an example on the far left and an example, of the, uh, well, I don't, I don't know, yeah, I, I, you know, whatever, an example from the left and an example from the right, both of whom said to the Jew, you are other, we don't want you here, get out of here, go back to where you belong. So, and, and I think Jews are starting to feel it and they are starting to say like, maybe I should, you know, buy that apartment. And again, I, I, I always want us to be careful about um, not having that kind of Israeli triumphalism, you know, like. Haha, -ha, we're here, you're there. No, I agree with you, here, absolutely. We're here, you're there, you know, but, but, but so I'd rather express it as empathy. I think that there's something very real happening in America and I think it's a scary moment. Okay, I think, uh, Johnny, you want to add something or we're going to wrap it up here? No, ultimately, what Mali's describing is the rise of identity politics and how that erodes this collective identity that America has been privileged to have. Again, comparing the European model or the UK model, we haven't really had a collective identity for quite so many decades. Um, 
you know, you could argue after the Second World War, but, but you know, by already the 1960s, things went, went, underwent significant changes. So identity politics, multiculturalism, and how that was handled, not the concept, but how that was promoted, uh, uh, has not been a benefit to society. But already there's not been something to hold on to. We haven't had that anchor. America has had that story, you know. Uh, I've grown up around people and heard many good friends speak so favorably and so loyally about this narrative, about this story. And that's changing when there's a rise of identity politics. It's not about the collective. It's not about the country. It's not about that loyalty. It's not about the flag, right? It's about who individually I am and how I differ to you and how oftentimes because I'm more of a victim than you, then you should basically stand aside to give me more rights. And that battle is happening, and it has been happening for quite some time in America. And there's a non-American who has much regard for that story. Uh, and, and, and it's inspirational, and not just from a distance, but for those who live it. That's sad to see. And, and I, I say this absolutely distinct from the fact that we're a day after the election. We don't know what's happening. I'm not making any political statement here. That's sad. Uh, and there's work to be done, healing to be done. Can I there is much work to be done. Because I agree with that very strongly. I think identity politics is corroding American life. And it's breaking my heart. And again, as Johnny said, I'm not making a political statement. And I believe that, as I said before, every minority should be valued and respected. But identity politics is not the way to do it. And it's, 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 it's destroying... The, the country that I really love. It's not, I don't consider it my homeland. Israel's my homeland. But America, I love America. And that's where we'll end. Thanks so much, Ramali. Thanks to Johnny. Uh, if you have comments or questions, people have been coming to us either personally and then we share it with each other or on our Facebook page. We always love hearing your responses. This is a pretty um, deep but also emotional uh, topic for many of us. And we'd love to hear your response uh, as well. Uh, I want to thank Molly Brevsky, Rabbi Johnny Solomon. Uh, I want to thank my son Patachia for his music. Uh, if you could just leave us a review on, on the Apple Podcasts and uh, make it a good one. So more, and more also, we'd be very happy if you could share uh, this podcast with people and really get the word out that you're enjoying listening to it. My name is Evan Spolter. Have a great weekend.